pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. God's good this morning, isn't it? Thank the Lord. If you got your Bibles with you this morning, you can turn to Luke chapter 15. That's where we'll be going here in a little bit. Glad to get to be back in church this morning. Amen. I miss being here. Excuse me for a minute. I gotta get things back home. Well, we missed you guys, Brother Bill. <laughs> you too, Miss Shannon. So it's good to be back. Yes, it is good to be back. I miss when I'm not here. Hallelujah. Now I can hear again. always knew I had a little bit of a hearing problem. But until I went and got my hearing test, I realized I was pretty much deaf. <laughs> Everybody thought me and Miss Shannon fighting all the time. No, I just couldn't hear. <laughs> Why have you got the TV up so loud? I can't hear it. Praise God, I can hear now. doing something one day I was like what is that noise she said that's always done that you just hadn't been able to hear it <laughs> it was a furnace or something oh yeah I can hear it now we need to get it fixed you know in Luke chapter 15 uh, it's, it talks about how Jesus made a practice of uh associating with tax collectors and other notorious sinners. That's pretty bad. You know, even back then, everybody hated the tax man. But, uh, but Jesus always associated with all those notorious sinners. You know, and the Pharisees and the teachers of, of the religious law complained because Jesus was associating with these despicable people. And he was even eating with them. He was going, he was associating with them, he was sitting down, he was eating with them, he was talking with them. And, and the scribes and the Pharisees, they believed in guilt by association. And since Jesus associated with the people that didn't honor God, then by their way of thinking, Jesus didn't honor God. But you always have to remember this. Jesus associated with them. Jesus sat with them. He didn't sin with them. Yeah. He sat and he was their example of how you could be. So to answer their complaining, Jesus spoke some parables to them. That's what we're going to talk about here in chapter 15 of 
uh, of Luke. And he, he told them three parables. He talked about a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son. And those stories, they highlight the truth that missing people matter to God. You know, God places a, a tremendous value on every individual. Every individual that has ever lived upon the face of the earth and every individual that will live upon the face of the earth, God cared about. Amen. Word of God tells us, for God so loved the world, not this earth, the world, you and I, the people before us and the people after us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God cared. And, and the word of God says that heaven rejoices when, when a lost soul comes home. Mm -hmm. You know, so Jesus taught them some parables that day. He talked about a lost sheep. You know, shepherds care for their sheep. If, and, and the parable that he taught was that if a shepherd realizes that he has his 99 sheep in the fold, but there's one that's lost, he'll go and he'll find that lost sheep and he'll bring it back to the fold. You know, sometimes a shepherd has to be rough. intending in for sheep and in caring for sheep. A shepherd, if a shepherd has a sheep that likes to get out, he's hard-headed. He likes to get out and get away. But you know what happens with sheep? If one goes, then somebody else might, another one might follow after. So if that shepherd has a sheep that is in the habit of getting out and getting itself lost, he'll go and he'll search and he'll find that sheep. He'll break his leg. Sometimes a shepherd has to be rough. But he'll break its leg and then he'll take it and he'll bind it up and he'll put that shepherd on his shoulders and he'll carry it around until the sheep is well. And you know what happens when that sheep is well and he puts that sheep down? That sheep doesn't leave anymore. That sheep stays right next to the shepherd as close as he can get. Oh. But when you have that 99 safe in the fold and that one lost sheep, the shepherd will come and he'll look for it. And he'll find it and he'll bring it home and he'll rejoice that he's found his lost sheep. And brought it back into the fold. Like I said, it's a great celebration when that lost soul comes back to the kingdom of God. Amen. You know, Jesus puts great value on one person, each individual person, each person in here. God cares about you, and God is concerned about you, and God is concerned with the small details of your life.
we were doing something one day, and, and we were out. And Miss Shannon likes to use voice text. She don't like to type everything out. She likes to use voice text, and then she'll say what she wants to in her phone, and she'll hit send. Mm. <clears throat> she used to do that without reading it. <laughs> but we were talking to somebody one day. And, and, we were and she was telling them, you know, God cares about the smallest details of your life. And God does care about the smallest details in your life. And he wants you to pray. And when you pray, he wants you to be specific. Well, we're riding in the car one day, and Shannon is doing talk, talk to text. And, and she's going, and she just, you know, she's preaching in the phone. And... God wants you to be specific when you pray. The person she wrote texted her back and said, what? Then she read what she said. She said, God wants you to pee in the Pacific. <laughs> you got to be careful what you do when you're on voice and text. Amen. <laughs> But God cares about those small details of your life. God wants you to be specific. You might be thinking, well, that's just something small. That's just something insignificant. In the whole scheme of things, it may be. But in your life, it might be important. In your life, it might be just what you need to get you over that hump. To get you to that place where you're not wondering anymore. So God puts great value on that one person. He cares. He, want, he wants you to be specific when you pray. He wants you to lean on him. He wants you to trust in him. So we're not that lost sheep that's out wandering and getting lost. And shepherd don't have to break our legs. So he talked a parable about the, the lost sheep. And, and then he talked a parable about a lost coin. He's talking about a, a, a woman who had lost, lost her, a, a coin in her home and she was looking for it. She was searching for it. She was frantic and she was upset because she couldn't find this lost coin. Why in the world is this little coin so important to her? Maybe it's because of this. You know, um, and, and so Middle Eastern cultures, whenever a man and a woman get married, he gives her a ribbon with ten coins on it. And, and those ten coins represent their marriage relationship. And, and if you've seen people who, uh, ladies who dress in, in traditional Middle Eastern garb for things, you'll notice that they'll have a little ribbon across their head that's got the little coins on it. Well, that represents their their marriage covenant, their 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 vows to each other. And if she does something to dishonor her husband in their culture, she gets a coin plucked out, and then everybody knows 
everybody sees her shame. She got a coin message. She did something wrong. Judgmental stares, watching eyes. And so this lady, she's searching frantically because she's lost her coin. So she calls all her neighbors and all her friends. Somebody, you got to come. You got to help me find it. It's here in the house. I know it is. I haven't done anything, but my coin is missing. Come help me find it. So she comes, and her friends come in, and, and she finds it, and, and she has great joy because she doesn't have to be ashamed. All of her coins are in place. All the things that they represent are all in place. She hasn't done anything to, to lose out on her honor so there's joy in heaven when that one person repents and returns to God you know Jesus is interested in people becoming part of his family Amen. feel like my shirt I asked uh, Miss Carol to make it for me a while back and she finally was able to remember that I'd asked her so she got it to me. I'm not going to say how long it took her. But it was worth the wait. Be specific, brother. But the reason that I asked her to make it is because we, as the church, we need to be in the business of welcoming people home. Amen. And Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 27, we'll read this here. We're going to talk about a lost son for the rest of our time. Luke 11, or 15, 11 through 27. I'm reading the New King James Version. It says, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and sent him into his field to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough? and to spare and I perish with hunger I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him father I've sinned against heaven and before you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son make me one of your hired servants and he arose and came to his father but when he was still a great way off his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him and the son said to him father I've sinned against heaven 
and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother is coming because he has received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatty calf. You'll have to excuse me. I'm a little dry this morning. You know, those of you who have sons or have had sons, or were a son. You know what it's like to be a little rebellious. You know what it's like to deal with rebellion. Why? Because all boys go through it to a certain extent. If they're not too bad, they still get a little bit where they try to push up a little bit. And then they learn how far they can go. You know, that rebellious son was probably a teenager. The good obedient son was probably in his 20s. He had already been through that little rebellious stage and found out he was better off where he was. But the story of the prodigal son gives us the illustration of how a person's life can be transformed by the grace and the mercy and the love of God. You know, it's, it's possible for that person that rebels against God, that rebels against his parents, and, and rebels against society to experience a turnaround. The story of the prodigal son illustrates repentance. father of the prodigal son shows the compassion and, and the love of God. God's always more than ready to meet you halfway. Doesn't matter how far that you have traveled and you've wandered away from God to return, all you have to do is turn around. Why? Because he's standing right there. Yeah. Word of God says, goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our life. What's that? That's the father right there. He sees you in your running. He sees you in your wandering, and he's right there, and he's standing back waiting for you to turn. There's an old song years ago they used to sing in the church, standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. He's the only one who cares and understands. Standing somewhere in the shadows, you will find him. And you'll know him by the nail prints in his hands. 
waiting. Yeah. He's there, and he's just waiting for you to make that turn and to turn around and to come back to him. And, and the father and the prodigal son parable illustrates that so well. You know, G Jesus illustrated that truth to the to the Pharisees and the scribes and the other people who were listening. You know, a man had two sons. And the younger son came to him and said, I want my part that's going to fall to me. Don't want to wait until you die. I want you to go ahead and, and, and give it to me. I want my inheritance now. And the way that it worked back then was if you had two sons, the oldest son got two-thirds, younger son got one-third. The oldest, the oldest son always got double of what everybody else got. So you have two sons split into thirds. So he split it up. And as far as we know, it wasn't a dysfunctional home. The younger son wasn't mistreated. But the father knew that there wasn't any use in arguing with the son and trying to change his son's mind. He knew that if he gave his youngest son what he wanted, it was going to lead to some painful experiences for him. Why? Because he was young and didn't understand things. So he split everything up. He gave it to him. Gave it, gave it to him. And, and the scripture we read said that in a few days he packed up everything and he left and went into a far country. And uh, when he left home, he, it didn't take him long until he ran out of money. Why? Because he left, and he's like, I got all this money. I don't have to work. So he went, and he lived a party lifestyle. Word says that he wasted all his money on wild living. You know, he, he was loaded with cash. He didn't have his parental restraints on him anymore. So he went and headed for the casino and the bars and the strip clubs and wherever else he could go and all the things that he could do. Everything that he could get into and he was old enough to get into, he got into and he spent his money. And he learned that you got a lot of friends as long as you got money to spend. But when everything was gone, guess what? All his friends were gone. Yeah. Blew all his money. And about the time that the money ran out, a famine hits the land. Famine hits the land. He don't have a job. He don't have money coming in. He's broke. He's living far away from home. And, and so he goes and he persuades this farmer to let him work for him. And he says, okay, the only job I've got for you is go slop the hogs. You go take care of the hogs. And here he is. He's a Jewish boy going and working with the hogs. The lowest, nastiest thing that a Jewish boy can get into. 
because according to their laws and their their restrictions, uh, you know, Jewish person doesn't eat pork. Forbidden to eat swine. They could raise them and sell them to Gentiles, but they had slaves and servants to do the feeding and do the work, so they didn't have to touch them. All they did was get the money. But then there came a time. Here he is. He's down there and he's slopping the hogs and he's feeding them and he's looking and he's thinking to himself, that slop don't look too bad. You know, it's pretty bad when you get to the place where you're willing to think about eating what the hogs are eating. Because I got news for you, a hog will eat anything. I don't care what it is, it'll eat anything. They're, they're nasty. But verse 17 is a turning point in the story. It says, he came to himself. You know, sometimes people have to hit bottom before they're willing to re face reality. Right. Sometimes they have to get to the place where they hurt bad enough and long enough that they're ready to act and make a change. But it says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself at home, even the hired men that work for my father that take care of the animals, that take care of the hogs, have plenty to eat and more to spare. And here I am dying of hunger away from home. So I'll go home to my father and I'll say, I'm, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against God, I've sinned against everything that we, we believe in, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just let me be a servant. Just take me on as a hired hand. And he went home to his father. Down there in the hog lot, he repented. He turned from what he was doing and where he was living and how he was living, and he went back home. The problem that a lot of people have is they'd rather suffer and be miserable be miserable than swallow their pride and admit that they've done something wrong. Than admit that they've made a wrong decision. Stubborn pride keeps a lot of people from turning around. You know, a young dad was reading the story of the prodigal son to his little four-year-old daughter. And when he finished the story, he asked his daughter, what does this story teach you? The little girl sits there and she thinks for a minute. She sighs. She looks at her dad and she says, never leave home without your credit card. <laughs> But he came to his senses in the hog pen, and he returned to his father. And the word says that while he was still a distance away, while he was still a long way off, 
his father saw him and ran to him. He embraced him and he kissed him and he welcomed him back home. This story is just as much about the father as it is the son. You know, the father's a picture of God's grace and his love and his mercy. You know, God in his love sent Jesus out to reach the lost people in a sinful world. You know, Jesus always goes more than halfway to meet you where you are. To show you love and compassion and mercy. But here's the thing. Jesus can only help us when we're moving toward him. Amen. You know, the father didn't go out and look for the son. He knew where the son was. He knew he was gone and he knew he was out doing the things that he wanted to do. But until he decided to come home, there wasn't anything that he could do to help him. Right. Prodigal son represents all of us. Where God says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all failed. We've all not been what God has wanted us to be. But all we have to do is repent, turn around, return to God, seek Him. While he can still be found. You know, the last part of this parable talks about the older brother. <coughs> he resented his younger brother for coming home. Because here he is, he's been faithful to the father. He stayed there, he's worked, he's he's helped run everything and, and helped take care of things. And been faithful to his father. He resented his father throwing a party for his brother that had left. You know, that older brother represents the Pharisees and the rulers of the law that Jesus was talking to. You know, they had the law in their head, but they didn't have it in their hearts. God's not looking for head knowledge. He's looking for somebody that has a heart to serve him and He's looking for people that will experience a heart transformation. And, and daily, that father must have been out there searching the horizon, looking to see if is today the day he's going to come home. You know, on the day that he finally made it back, and, you know, I. You can imagine the son getting close to home, and here he is. He's dirty, and he stinks, and he hadn't had a bath in no telling how long. He smelled like uh, smelled like the hogs. His clothes were worn out and torn and tattered. You can imagine it was hard for him to make that. final trip. You know, when he was in that far country and, and he came to himself, you know, he's like I gotta go home and I gotta do this and I, I gotta but can you imagine how he felt the closer that he got to home? I'm gonna have to face Dad. I don't know about you, but 
for me, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, I would much rather talk to my mom about what I had done wrong than talk to my dad about what I had done wrong. My dad was the disciplinarian. Never struck us with his hand. He could wield a belt like you couldn't believe. I told my kids, said, you know what the scariest sound in the world is? Or what? Said belt flying through belt loops. You know you're getting ready to get it. My dad never spanked us that we didn't deserve it. I'm just thankful that he was sort of tired by the time me and my younger brother came along because I've heard that my older siblings got it a whole lot worse than we did. But he was going to have to face his father, and I'm sure he was scared, and he was pacing back and forth, and like, oh, this is going to be hard. But he was completely underestimating his father's love. Love that led the father to scan that horizon daily looking for his, for his return. You know, undoubtedly, the, the father had many sleepless nights. You know, his, his son, I'm sure it caused him anguish and pain, but because of his love, the father came to him. When he saw him, the word of God says that he ran to him and he kissed him on the neck and, and he called for his servants and he told him, hurry up, bring out a robe and put on it. Bring out the best robe and put on it. Bring some sandals and put them on his feet. Get a ring and put it on his hand. You know, I'm sure he was looking for his father to say, you got what you deserve, buddy. But he didn't. The father ran with a heart full of love and, and welcomed him home. son spoke to his father and told him, he said, you know, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, just make me like one of your servants. He, he quit making excuses for his life and took responsibility. And, and that's what we have to do. The Word of God says if we'll confess our sins, if we'll take ownership of what we've done, then he's willing and he's ready to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's looking for us to turn to him and to come to him and, and to take ownership of, of what we've, we've done. You know, the, the prodigal son came home and he was looking for pity from his father. He was looking for Dad, just give me a job and let me come here and let me be as one of your servants. He was looking for pity, but what he got instead was a party. Like I said, he told him, you know, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, put shoes on his feet. Kill that fatted calf that we've been getting ready. 
was he fattening the calf up? Because he was expecting a return. You know, years ago there was a popular song called Tide Yellow River. Tony Orlando. Sean Page. I was a young child when that song came out. But the song talks about a man who's done wrong, went to prison, and he's written his wife a letter because he's coming home, he's done his time, and he wants to see if she is willing to take him back. So she, he writes a letter and tells you, I, I, I'm coming home. If you're willing to take me back, just tie a yellow ribbon around the oak tree. And, you know, if there's not a there's not a ribbon tied to the tree, I'll just stay on the bus and keep going. I'll take it all as my fault, and, and I'll accept that. So as the miles roll by, and he's thinking about that oak tree, he tells the bus driver to look and see if there's a ribbon on it. The song ends in a, in a great big bunch of joy because there's a hundred ribbons tied on the tree. You know, she's willing to take it back. Because of God's love and forgiveness, he's willing to welcome you home. Because of your rebellion and your hardened attitude, you don't feel worthy to be welcomed back. But God not only welcomes you home, he throws a party for you. You know, sons often wore family rings that had the family crest on them whenever they had to send anything, send correspondence to somebody that roll it up, put wax on it, and they seal it with wax rings so they know who it came from and know that it was official. But when he left, he sold the ring. He got rid of it. He got rid of everything. He spent all his money, got rid of all, sold all his possessions so he could live and survive. But when he came back home, the father said, put the robe on, put shoes on his feet, put a ring on his finger, let everybody know that my son is alive. Let's have a party. Killed a fatty cat. Didn't only put new clothes on him and give him jewelry. He had a longhorn steakhouse barbecue. You know, it's interesting. Father said, kill the calf that we've been fattening in the pen. Father had faith his son was coming back. And we've been saving this one. I'll share a couple of things with you, and then we'll close. We'll get out of here a little bit early today. In his book, The Capital of the World, Ernest Hemingway wrote about a father in Spain who had a son named Paco. Because of his son's rebellion, Paco and his father were estranged, and the father was bitter and angry with his son and kicked him out of the house. And after years of bitterness, the father's anger subsided, and he realized that he was wrong for kicking Paco out for their agreement. So he began to look for him, but he didn't have any results. And finally, in desperation, the father placed an ad in the Madrid newspaper and the ad read Paco. All is forgiven. 
Meet me at the newspaper office at 9 a.m. tomorrow. Love your father. And that was all he had said. Now, Paco is a common name in Spain. And Hemingway wrote that when the father arrived the next morning at the newspaper office, there were 600 men named Paco there hoping to get forgiveness from their father. There was a pastor named Norman Vincent Peel. He pastored a church in, in New York, and uh, he's a famous minister. He started the magazine Guideposts, along with his wife years and years ago. He's been dead for years now. But he was a pastor at a church in New York, and he was in Atlanta for a big conference. And, and in his message, he said that he believed that Jesus Christ can come into a life and change it no matter how hopeless it seems. After the service, he was in the back, and he was meeting with other pastors, and somebody brought a message and told him there's a drunk out here that wants to talk to you. He told him, bring him in. And so the man came in, and, you know, he was disheveled, unshaven, unwashed, and poorly dressed, and reeking of alcohol. And he asked Vincent Peel, do you really believe that Jesus can help me? Peel's reply was, without a doubt. And him and the other ministers there prayed for him. And the man left. And as after the man left, one of the ministers looked at him, looked at, at Vincent Peel and said, we'll all be surprised if he changes one way. Six months later, he was sitting in a hotel lobby in Clearwater, Florida, and he saw a man coming toward him. dressed really nice, had two little girls with him that were dressed immaculately. And he didn't recognize him, but as he got closer, he realized who it was. It was a drunk from Atlanta that God had changed. God can affect a change in your life. You just have to let him in your heart. So here it is. I'll close with this. If you've been wandering and walking away from God, you can turn around and go back. You can turn around and start heading back toward Jesus. And he's standing right there and he's ready to say, Let's all pray. Father God, we're thankful today, Lord, for the opportunity that you've given us, Lord, to come to your house, Lord. God, to hear and receive your word today, Lord. We thank you, God, that Jesus is standing ready to welcome us home, Lord God. When we repent, we turn to him, Lord. We just honor you, God. We thank you, Father, for moving today, Lord God. I ask you, Father, that you change lives. 
Lord, just help us, God, to see you, Lord, for what you are, our good Father. Lord, we honor you today, Lord. We thank you, God, that you are moving, that you're working in lives, God. Help us be ambassadors for you, Lord God, to welcome the lost home, Lord. We honor you, God. We thank you for everything that you've done, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you all. We'll see you next Sunday. Tune in Wednesday night for Facebook Live. Amen. God bless you. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.